0: We're actually starting a brand new series this morning. So if you join us for the very first time, welcome to Connect Church. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. And this series is a short series. It's going to go for the next three weeks today and then two more weeks. And it's called The Ladder. Okay, so before I kind of get into explaining what The Ladder is and why it's here on the stage with us, I'm going to ask a little survey question here. You're not going to text in this morning. It's just going to be a, a show of hands. How many of you... In this room, show of hands, um, have at least once over the last week talked about money. Anyone talked about money over the last week? Any of you? I'm seeing about a 95% response rate there. Quite a lot of people. Let me help you out here. Maybe it was a conversation that went, um, you know, I'd really like to do that, but I can't afford it right now. Um, should we do this? Let's check the bank account and see if we can. Or you've even paid yet. Can I, you know, it, whatever the conversations, maybe something happened in the last week around the subject of money. Uh, maybe not a show of hands for this one, um, but how many of you have argued? about money this week. Okay, no show of hands. Okay, right now spouses are squeezing their spouse's leg like you know, you remember last Tuesday. But um, it could have been with a spouse, it could have been with a son, a daughter, maybe a representative of the IRS. I hope it wasn't an argument with a representative of the IRS. But um, what about this? Maybe it was uh, one of those conversations where, honey, I've just saved us so much money because this table I bought it was half price. It was only eleven hundred dollars. I've saved us eleven. No, you've spent eleven hundred dollars. I'm sure that conversation never happens in your homes. Um, how about this one? Maybe in the last week again. You don't need to show your hands here, but you you thought you know I'm not making enough. I need to get a new job. I'm, I'm worried about my job. I, I, I won't make you put your hands up in case your boss is in the room this morning and you have to let him or her know that you don't think you're making enough money. How about this? How many of you in the last week have maybe checked up on a stock or a mutual fund? Maybe you've been online to check out your portfolio. You've got an app on your phone that tracks your investments. Maybe in the last week, one of you has checked that. Maybe you're here this morning thinking, in portfolio. I've got like a tin in my sock drawer that every now and again I check and I just see and I'm like, oh, there's more in there than I realized. That's my retirement account. But maybe some of you have checked some of that future. How about this? Any one of you dreamt about money in the last week? Maybe in the night you've had a dream about money. Maybe it was a brilliant dream. Maybe you were like Scrooge McDuck and you were just like diving into piles of money and you're swimming around in gold coins or possibly a nightmare. Just You just woke up thinking, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if we don't have enough money? You see, the truth is money is actually a pretty big part of our life, isn't it? Whether we're having conversations about it, whether we're going online to check balances or to look at stuff to buy, even if we're dreaming about it, money can be quite consuming of our time and our thoughts and our energy. And I think because money is such a big part of our life, God has a lot to say about it. Look, here's an example. Jesus, he was talking one time and he says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. Now, Jesus is talking here about how difficult it is to serve two different gods. It's just really not possible. And, and of all the potential competitors that Jesus could have chosen for that place of God in our lives, listen to what he said. You can't serve both God and money. And why is that? I think it's because he knew What deep down we all know to be true, that money can compete for our hearts, maybe more than anything else. So I think because of this, God talks a lot about money in the Bible. But I want to be really clear up front both this morning and even over the next few weeks. I really want you to understand this truth this morning. God doesn't talk about money because he wants something from us. He wants something for us. I want to say that again because I think this is really important. And sometimes it can be like a a mindset that when we come to church, we're like, oh, I don't like this. But actually, God doesn't talk about money because he wants something from us. I believe that God talks at such a large amount throughout the Bible about money because he really wants something for us. I honestly believe he wants to help us become people who live lives of generosity and impact not anxiety and stress. I think he wants us to be people who are filled with joy, not greed. He wants things for us, not from us. For example, Jesus, um, he, he talks about this again in another area, in, and, and Luke tells this story, but I love the way it's told through a version of the Bible called The Message. This is a, a translation, it's kind of a modern day um, paraphrasing of the, of the Bible. And listen to what Jesus says through The Message uh, in Luke 12, 29. He says, what I'm trying to do is get you to relax, not to be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving, God has so much he wants to give us, but we can sometimes get caught up in that getting mindset. And I think he wants us to move from an obsession with getting to the fulfillment of giving. Now, I know we announced Operation Christmas Child this morning. I know that that phrase sounds a little Christmassy, that it's better to, to give than to get. But the reality is that God is always taking us towards giving and always moving us away from getting. Because I think he just knows that we've gotten enough. God sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. That's that's the best gift any one of us could have ever received. So God is all the time trying to move us from getting to giving. So that's what we're going to talk about in this series called The Ladder. We're going to talk about money and the role it plays in our lives. Now, don't want you to panic this morning, okay? I feel like um, as soon as I start talking about money, some of you felt like, you know, those moments where maybe you've been on a vacation. This deal was just so good. You're like, we can stay in the hotel for this much every night? That sounds amazing. And then the first night you get there, they say, well, you do have to go to a presentation in the morning. It's going to be a two-hour presentation. We're going to tell you about how you could be the owner of one of these luxury condominiums. You're like, oh, no, I thought this was going to be a great vacation. It's a timeshare. I'm going to be sold to now for the next two hours. Listen. Maybe you're kind of feeling that now as we're talking about money, but I think that what you're going to find through this series is that God wants to address this subject to set you free, not to trap you. And if we're all honest, the reason we can all say we've spoken about or thought about, or, because in some of our lives, it is a, a, a source of contention, a source of fear, a source of worry. And God wants to set you free from all of those things. So allow me to use this ladder to explain how he wants to do that. You see, ladders are great. Um, I don't know how many of you own ladders. I own uh, a ladder, not this one. I've actually got um, one at home, like a big ladder. It's like, I think, like 12 or 14 feet and it extends out to twice the length. It's, it's a brilliant ladder. I can remember buying it. It was about uh, maybe 10 years ago. We've been married, Case and I, for about seven or eight years. And we were living in a house up in Chicago, and um, I would have to clean the gutters out. We had a lot of trees in the yard, so the gutters would fill up with leaves and uh, block the gutters. So uh, two or three times you know, throughout the season, I'd have to clean out these leaves. And I think it was on the second or third time one day when I was, I was stood on a, a bucket upside down, and the bucket was upside down, obviously on a chair, and then that chair was on a table, and the table was just by the window. And as I stood on the bucket, I could reach into the gutter, and I thought, you know what? I bet a ladder would make this a lot easier. And I'm like, it's probably about time I bought myself a ladder. And I did, and it's a great ladder. And, And you know, my world opened up. It was revolutionizing the places I could reach with this ladder that I couldn't reach with just a bucket, a chair, and a table. You'd be amazed how many times I did get things done with those three. But this ladder totally opened up my world. Well, that's what I want this ladder to be for us this morning. I want this ladder to be something that we can kind of visualize when it comes to our finances. You see, I think for many of us this morning, we have a ladder just like this. And we're trying to reach out to get more, to make more, to provide more, or to buy more. But what if our ladder is sending us in the wrong direction? What if what we're reaching for is actually the wrong thing? I actually want to challenge us during this series to to maybe fold up our ladder And maybe put it in a different spot in our lives. Maybe for some of us, that will be the the outcome of this series. It's actually moving our ladder from over here where we were climbing to get more and more and more. And actually now, this ladder becomes something that helps us to reach for giving more. What would it look like if we were to climb the ladder of generosity? So again... Let me say this this morning. I believe he wants to move us from an obsession with getting to the fulfillment of giving. You see, this series, The Ladder, is about being able to reach places and get to places that God has for us that we could never get to on our own. As we talk over these next three weeks, we're going to talk about things that are going to stretch our faith. And we think, man, I'm not sure if I can do that. But, but that's why we have the ladder, because we're going to, with God's help, move to places that we've never been before. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to kick off this series and say, okay, what's it going to take to get me onto this first rung of the ladder? What does the first rung look like on my ladder? When it comes to my finances and giving and generosity, what's that first rung look like? Well, let me tell you what it's going to take to make the first step. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, the first step from where we are and how we can step up to that next level. You see, as well as Jesus, Paul also talked a lot about the subject of money. He actually wrote to a young man by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy was somebody who he was training to be a pastor. Um, Churches were kind of springing up all over the New Testament world after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And and Timothy was one of these disciples who Paul had trained to plant a church in this particular area. And he wrote two letters, one Timothy and two Timothy, to this young man. And and the letters are full of advice for Timothy on how he can be a better leader and a better pastor to these people. So some of it was personal, practical advice for Timothy. And some of it was Timothy Make sure you tell the people this. Make sure when you teach the people in your new church, those new followers of Jesus, make sure this is what you teach them. And here's one of the things that Paul addressed with Timothy. He said, Hey Timothy, when it comes to finances, I've got some advice for you. Give the people of your church this advice. We can read about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 17. Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So I know there has to be at least one person here right now who's thinking, turns out this message isn't for me. Because he just said, Command those who are rich. And I'm not rich. I really am not rich at all. So I can kind of sit back and relax because this is not for me. Well, I get that, but not so fast. Let me just kind of maybe put this into context for anyone here this morning who says, I'm not rich. Can we just look at some numbers here for a second? So I don't know where you were on October the 31st, 2011, but that was the day that the United Nations declared that the seven billionth person was born. Somewhere on planet Earth, the seven billionth person was born on October 31st, 2011. If you have a son or a daughter or a grandchild that was born on October 31st, 2011, they could have been seven billion. They could have knocked us out of the sixes and into the sevens. That's a lot of people living on planet Earth right now. Now, do you know what? The crazy part of that is not only are there 7 billion people alive on planet Earth right now, I also discovered this week that one out of every five, every fifth baby born in the world is Chinese. you know that? Every fifth baby born in the world is Chinese. That's crazy. Now, I'm not convinced that's true. My wife, uh, Casey, she's one of, um, she has five siblings. Her parents had six children. None of them are Chinese. So I'm not sure if that statistic is completely accurate, but uh, you, can, you can explain that to your kids or your spouses later. Um, but anyway, 7 billion people alive on the earth, okay, and of those 7 billion, 9% own a car. Less than 10% of the world's population owns a car. 5% own a computer. Only 1 in 20 people around the world own a computer. Most of us this morning have got a computer in our pockets, a smartphone. Only 5% own a computer. 5% of the world's population, 5% of those 7 billion people makes $25,000 a year or more. So that means 95% of the world's population makes less than $25,000 a year. So get this. I know that there are many of us here this morning that could say we're struggling financially, but if I have a computer, a car, and I make $25,000 or more a year, I have more than at least 95% of the people on this earth. I am above the upper 95 percentile of everybody in the world money-wise. Now, I know that um, maybe we're not like rich in the Donald Trump or Kardashian kind of rich. I know that's like crazy rich, okay? But compared to everyone on the planet, we are in a very high percentage. So I think rich here means anyone who has more than the vast majority of people on the planet who have very little. So if we have a car, a place to live, and even make a modest living, I really believe that what Paul is saying is talking to us. So let's listen to it again. He said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul is saying here that the danger is that we'll start to put our hope in the stuff instead of in God. That we'll put our hope in wealth and finances instead of in in God. So, what does that mean? What does it mean to put our hope in wealth? What does that mean in our context, in our lives? Well, I was thinking about it. I think there are three tests that we can do. There are three measures we can see that yeah, maybe that is me putting my hope in wealth instead of God. So these are those three areas, and I'm going to go through them, and I want you to kind of analyze yourself and think about your life, and maybe you'll be like, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. I can see myself fitting into that category. So the first is that we can, we can do this, putting our hope in, in wealth instead of in God. We can do this if we see money as security. In our lives, money is security. If you're a saver here this morning, this could be you. We can think a lot about how much we have in our banks or in our retirement funds, maybe our kids' college funds, and we wonder a lot, is it going to be enough? Will this get me through? And maybe fear creeps in that we don't have enough. Because for us, we look at money as a matter of security. Maybe that's you here this morning. Or maybe you're more like uh, this, this second category. These are the people that put hope in money because they see money as a matter of satisfaction. If you're a spender, not a saver, this could be you. Because for you, money's more about satisfaction. We don't think of it as much as something that should be saved. We think about it as something that should be spent. Because in spending money, and we may not say it out loud, but for many of us, that's where we get our satisfaction. You can't enjoy life without a good bit of money to spend. We've got to have money to get things and buy stuff so we can enjoy life. And we put our hope in money to make life satisfying. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're uh, uh, somebody who kind of puts your hope in wealth to bring satisfaction instead of security. Or maybe you're part of this third group. See, I think there's a third group, and, and those are the ones who equate money with significance or status. Money helps me present who I am. I found this quote from Donald Trump It was, money was never a big motivation for me, except as a way to keep score. It's amazing. Ted Turner, another billionaire, wrote the same similar thing when he said, life is a game. Money is how we keep score. And to some, money is just that. It's a a measure of significance. Where do I fit in the order of things? How significant am I really? Because that amount of money I have helps place me, uh, maybe not there, but certainly above there. So which is it for you this morning? How do you tend to put your hope in money? Is it for security, for satisfaction, for significance? Maybe it's a combination of a couple of those, but which is it for you? For me, I'm a saver. Okay, When it comes to money, I'm definitely a security person. I'm always kind of thinking, do we have enough? Have we put enough away? I'm planning ahead. But what about you? Or maybe the question this morning is, what about your spouse? Because that can always be fun, can't it, when you've got maybe a saver and a spender living in the same house? I have no idea what that's like, I'm sure, because my wife's wonderful. But, um, but yeah, what if you've got a saver and a spender who are kind of living in tension together? You see, we all want money to bring us security or satisfaction or significance. But when we put our hope in that money and those possessions, what happens? When we look at that as significance or security, and we start to put our hope in it, what, what difference does it make in our lives? Well, I'll tell you. Statistics tell us. The average American household has nearly $16,000 in credit card. That's the, the average. The average college undergraduate graduates with 20000 in student loans. 1.6 million of us filed for bankruptcy last year. So just those three stats alone, I have to believe that putting our hope in wealth isn't working. So I want to say to you this morning, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, please hear and understand this. I think there is a God who loves you and cares about you, and he doesn't want you to have to live like that. I honestly believe there is a God who wants to free us from the shackles of hoping in money. I think he wants us to be relieved of that pressure and that stress that hoping in money brings when we're trying to seek it to be our security or our satisfaction or our significance. And that's why God says, don't put your hope in wealth, put your hope in me. So how do we do that? How does God want us to put our hope in him instead of money? Well, let's continue to look at what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 18. So after saying, don't put your hope in wealth, put your hope in God's, Paul says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's the answer Paul's saying. Listen, here's here's the solution. Challenge the people you lead in your church to, to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. And I think that's the key word that tells us where this ladder is going, Is generosity. The ladder is about moving us towards generosity. Because let's be honest, we probably all know something about a ladder in our lives. Maybe it's a corporate ladder or a popularity ladder, a status or a lifestyle ladder. But I think in God's economy, climbing the ladder is stepping up out of anxiety and stress towards... Well, let's look at how Paul describes it. He says it this way in verse 19. He says, in this way, by living generous lives, by doing good, by giving to others, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We've talked a lot about this in the last couple of weeks, the kind of life that God wants us to experience. Last week and the week before, actually, we spoke on that verse that Jesus said, I've come to to give them life and life abundantly, life to the full. And here again, Paul's saying, listen, there's a clue here, there's a key here to how you can take a hold of the life that is truly life, a life where we are rich in meaning and in purpose. And see where it says there? He says, there'll be a firm foundation for the coming age. What Paul is doing here is he's reiterating something that Jesus had taught before about storing up treasure in heaven. You see, Jesus in a very famous message he gave once, it was called the Sermon on the Mount, and he went through a bunch of basic teaching, and he talked about giving. He said, listen, store up treasures, not on earth, but in heaven, because he says there the rust and the moth will not destroy, and the thief will not steal. And what Jesus was saying is you can pour your resources into what will benefit you now, or you can pour your resources into what will benefit you in eternity, he was talking about investing in the kingdom that is to come. And we can do that now. You see, Jesus even told us to pray that way. Do you remember in the, the prayer he told us, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was saying that we can play a part in bringing heaven to earth. By praying that way, praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But even by investing into that kingdom by investing into that coming age to bring God's kingdom to come today. See, here's what that looks like. It's feeding the hungry, giving relief to the oppressed and downtrodden. It's helping people find their way back to God so they can share in the age that is to come. That's what being generous looks like. That, I believe, is a life that is truly life. Because just in case nobody's told you this, I don't believe that this world, this age, is forever. But I believe there is one that is coming. That we live an eternal life outside of this um, life that we live here on earth. And we can help financially, we can invest into that eternal life. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's what Paul is reiterating. And here at Connect, that's what we are doing as a church. We're investing into the age that is coming. So there's several ways that we do that. Um, We we sit very carefully, and I've got some amazing guys and and people around me, leaders who who help me with the budget and help me with Connect Church spending, and and they look at all these numbers and help make sure that we're spending the right amount on staffing and the right amount on resources and the right amount to to rent the school and the right amount to put away for savings to to maybe one day purchase a building of our own and, and all these kind of things. But before we even start to slice that pie... We made a decision here at Connect Church before we even began, before we even start. 10% of every penny that comes into the offering, we're going to give away. We don't want to start cutting into that and spend it on staffing or on chairs or staging. 10%, we're going to learn to live on the 90% because 10% we want to give away as a church. So we made that commitment. So 10% of every penny that comes in the offering either goes locally or it goes somewhere nationally or it goes somewhere globally. To help reach people for Jesus. And actually, this is a three-week series. So over the next three weeks, I'm going to tell you stories every week of how Connect is doing that. And this morning, I want to talk about what we're doing locally. We've had some amazing opportunities in the last two years of our history to be able to, to give generously locally. Immediately following the tornado, we had a lot of people who donated money and said, please pass this along. And um, I figured out that we've probably given away over, well, I know, I say probably, I know for a fact we've given away over 50. I think we're actually closer to $60,000 to people that were affected by the tornado. And the great thing about that story is that um, some of those people were a part of Connect, but most weren't. Most of those people are people we found through the community or through our connection with um, what was called the Long Term Recovery Center. We've heard of needs and we've been able to write checks to people who aren't a part of Connect Church. Funny enough, just this morning I arrived at school and, and someone had sent a thank you card to the school, and um, it was from a family who we were able to help. She said, I love the way God is using your church and this situation to bring him glory. I see and feel the peace as he lavishes it on us through this trial. Thank you so much for your very generous gift. And it's been great as a church to be able to help people outside of Connects that were impacted by the tornado. But it's not just that. We've been able to help financially and with resources to an organization here in town called Threads Hope and Love. They help families who are um, struggling financially provide clothing and toiletries and many practical, useful things. There's another organization here in town called My Sister's House, and we've helped them with um, financial donations. They work with single mums to help them transition, um, maybe out of um, shelters, that kind of thing, back into their own um, accommodation. And then even some food pantries here in Washington we be able to help financially. But just recently, we have got involved with another um, organization that's just started here in, in Washington. It's called Snack Pack. And I'm so excited by what we're going to do with them. You're going to hear more about that over the few months that come. But just for now, check out this video. It's going to tell you a little bit about the Snack Pack program.
1: This is no ordinary brown pack. This is a weekend snack pack. This bag is packed with five to seven items like mac and cheese, granola bars, oatmeal, and juice. Bags are packed twice a month by volunteers. Then they get put into containers, and loaded into vans, and delivered to schools each week, where they are put into backpacks by teachers when students aren't in classrooms. Why? To bridge the gap between Friday's school lunch and Monday's school lunch. So that kids come to school less hungry and ready to learn. Over 900 Washington elementary and middle school students receive nutritional assistance at school. But what about weekends? Churches all over Washington have come together to purchase food, store food, pack bags, and deliver to schools. Over 230 snack packs are being delivered each week. How can you help? Volunteer to fill snack packs Deliver snack packs to schools, the extra food like juice boxes when you shop, or support our fundraiser. What if showing God's love in this world was as simple as a brown paper bag?
0: So I'm so excited. That's another way that connects. We've, we've helped these people financially get off the ground, and we'll help some more over the next few months and years, I'm sure, with um, both finances and even volunteer. There'll be opportunities for us to go and help pack bags and load bags and that kind of thing to help some of the, the kids in our school districts here that, that maybe don't have uh, resources to have meals um, all the time when they're at home. But if we're interested in taking a hold of this life that's truly life, where do we start? Because remember, the ladder is all about helping us to get something or to get somewhere that we couldn't get without it. And getting there sometimes starts with with the first step. And that's the first step this morning I'm going to leave you with. It's the idea of becoming what I'm going to call an initial giver. So in stepping onto the first rung here of this ladder, let me give you two pieces of practical advice about how you can become an initial giver. Maybe you've been coming regularly here to connect and um, you are not yet giving in the offering or maybe you give here and there, but you haven't really got any kind of giving plan in place. But you're hearing what I'm speaking about here this morning, what Paul is saying. You're realizing that maybe you've been putting your hope in money more than you have in God and you're ready to see that change. So here are two pieces of just really practical advice I could give you on what it'll take, what it'll look like to get you onto this first rung as an initial giver. The first piece of advice I'd give you this morning is give first. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. To move towards generosity, whenever you get a paycheck, let the first thing you do be to give some of it away to meet the needs of others. Now, I know that's a big stretch for some of us. And and I honestly think if you're like me, sometimes it's thinking, man, I plan on giving I want to give in the offering, but here's what I'll do. When I get paid, I'll, I'll take care of this and that, and then you know, towards the end of that pay cycle or that pay period, it, whatever I've got left, I'll, I'll then put in the offering. But you know what? By the time that comes, it's gone. I want to challenge you before you write the mortgage check, the rent check, the, the utilities, whatever it is, just say, I'm going to give first. I do that personally in my life. We, I actually use the Connect Church app. And um, there's, a, there's a feature on the app where you can give online. I've got it set up. And, and I use that app. And if you haven't downloaded the app, it's a great app to download. Or there's a, a, a section on the website you can give via check in the offering. But we want to make it as easy as possible. So what I do on the Connect Church app is I get an email that tells me, you know, twice a month when I get paid, um, you've been paid. And it's one of the very first things I do. I jump on the app, and I've got it connected now to my bank account. And I'm able to give straight from my bank account to the church. And I've made that decision to do that. And I realize this is no small step. What if I give and then I don't have enough left for me? What am I going to do if I go without? What if God doesn't come through for me? You know, when I was preparing this message, I, uh, in fact, this series, I met with a few guys in the church who were working in the financial um, arena. One of them's a bank manager, one's an accountant, one's a financial planner, and I was running through some of my ideas and my sermon outlines with them, saying, I want to speak on the, you know, give me some advice, give me some feedback, and, and one of them shared, you know what, Dave, I can remember when I was a young man, I was a follower of Jesus, and I really believed it was important to give in the offering. He goes, I can remember one Sunday writing a check and putting in the offering and thinking, I can't afford this. This, this is going to leave me with nothing. But I just felt like I had to do it. I felt like it was the right thing to do. He said, you know, the next day, I, got a, uh, I was working with a company where I got commission checks. I got a commission check in the, the mail that I wasn't expecting. It was for double the amount of what I put in the offering. I got that back and then more. He said that was such a valuable lesson to me because I remember what it was like thinking, I'm not sure if I should give this. And I think God was testing me. And I think he showed me that I'll take care of you if you'll give first. And I know that's tough, and I realize it's a step of faith, but that's why we're talking about it as a ladder, because it may be out of our reach, and the first step is to say, God, give me the faith to take that first step. It's saying to God, God, I'm choosing to put my hope in you. Despite my fears, despite my worries, despite my doubts, I choose to trust you. We take that first step and towards breaking the bondage that money has us in by giving first, by giving an initial gift right off the top when we get our paycheck. You know, the second thing I want to challenge you on, and, and again, if you thought give first was tough, this might be tougher still, that is to give first consistently. To have a plan in place saying, you know what, not only am I going to give first, but I'm actually going to set up a plan that I give consistently. Because let's be honest, think about it in every area of your life. Do you remember when you joined the gym to get fit? How did that go when you joined? Was, was that, did that solve the issue or did it require actually going on a consistent basis? That's the drawback, isn't it? You think just joining the gym would help, but actually it's going regularly you need to do. What about eating healthy? I had a salad for lunch. I'm feeling it already. I'm healthy. It's actually eating healthily on a consistent basis where before you'll start to see the changes. And when it comes to generosity, the same is true. To really understand, to grow that generous heart, we have to consistently practice giving back to God. It's the only way to bring real change. It's the only way to stay on the ladder. So I know we all budget money differently. We all have different cycles and paid weekly, monthly, um, every couple of weeks, whatever it may be. So whatever cycle works for you, look for a way to stretch yourself. Say, God, I want to take that initial step to become an initial giver, to step up here and to give first and to give first consistently. Because the journey up this ladder, I believe, begins by becoming an initial giver. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what the second and third steps, the second and third rungs on this ladder look like. But for now, let's just take this first step and begin to catch that vision for the life that is truly life. And it isn't just a life that helps free us from the trappings of money. It's a life of investing into the coming age. Because an age is coming where all things will be set right. Where there'll be no hunger, no injustice, no violence, no corruption, no loneliness, no heartache. And the church is not about religious services and doing a few good charitable deeds. The church, every church, not just Connect Church, the church as a whole is about helping to usher in that coming age. We here at Connect Church, we recognize that's our mission, to help people find their way back to God, to mobilize followers of Jesus, to change the world in which they live, to raise up leaders who will impact their worlds. And you can help. You can live a life that helps us fulfill that mission. It's a life that could be ours if we stop clutching onto something that will ultimately fail us. Stop putting our hope into something that will eventually let us down and instead put our hope into God. So will you take up the challenge of moving your ladder from a ladder that maybe was climbing towards getting more to a place that's climbing towards giving more? Maybe now reach for something better in your life? Are you ready to step up to that first rung on the ladder? Maybe become an initial giver? Because I honestly believe that there is a life that is truly life waiting for those of us that have the courage and the strength and the faith to believe that if God is willing to talk a lot about this, then maybe he cares about us and he wants to see us receive more through giving more. Receive more from him through giving more in our lives. Let's pray. Father, the truth is that um, I, I find this hard to speak on this subject sometimes, but the truth is that the scriptures are full of teaching on this. Because as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. And in talking about that, he was talking about God and the thing that very often becomes the biggest um, competitor for that place in our heart of God, and that's Money. It consumes such a lot of our thinking and our fears and our concerns. And I believe, Lord, that the reason you talk so much about this is because you want us to trust you. Trust you that you will provide for us, Lord. Trust you that you love us so much that we need not be concerned because you will give us what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need because you love us so much. So help us, God, over these next three weeks as we start to look at this subject I think it's going to challenge some of us and stretch some of us, but I pray, Lord, that it would help us to move up that ladder because we're, we want to get to a place, Lord, that maybe seems unreachable, but through you, through this generosity ladder, could be reached. So help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.